Welcome to 27 Speaks, a weekly podcast with the staff of the Express News Group who share their insights into the latest stories making news on the East End of Long Island. 27 Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. And we are recording. Yes, we are recording. We got a pretty full house today for pre-Christmas. So everybody good? Yeah. Good stuff. Joe's eating fudge, I think, right? Homemade fudge. And you made it? I did. It's the healthy version, right, Joe? It's well, it's made from scratch with love. <laughs> I'm trying to it's it's a it's a throwback to my mom's fudge, which I miss. Aww. Um she used to make it every holiday. So I may surprise my brother back in Pennsylvania with some fudge uh, because it was always a Christmas tradition for our family. So very nice. And you get Sweet. to, you get to eat the uh, mistakes, I guess. Right. Well, I'm eating it while we speak. It's pretty pretty good. Like multitasking. Yeah. So we're back again. Um, and that was uh, Bill Sutton at the top of the top of the podcast. Hey, Bill. Hi, Annette. I'm Bill Sutton. I'm the managing editor of the express news group. And that was Joe Shaw um, eating the fudge. Um, in the lower left of our screen today that that's me i'm top right for me or top left for me i don't know i'm oh, i'm joe shaw i'm the executive editor of express news group yeah you're you're the bottom left for me hmm. but that's all right um and brendan o'reilly is here with us again today hey brendan hi everybody my name is brendan i am the deputy managing editor and i'm annette hinkle and i'm the arts and living editor and also with us is reporter steve coates hey steve howdy Nice to see you. Steve's in the center, so he's the circle blocks the square, right? Oh, see, he's not in the center. I mean, I don't know. Is that Notre Dame behind you? Me? Yeah. No, that's the great that dad. That would be the great. Oh, I thought it was Notre Dame. <laughs> no, I thought you were right, Annette. I saw the Cathedral of Notre Dame, too. I thought it was Notre Dame being rebuilt. That's another. And also joining us today... Um, is Bridget Fleming, our county legislator. Hi, Bridget. Hi, so nice to be with you all. Yeah, fun to have you. Pardon our silliness. I'm used to this coming out of the dashboard of my car. <laughs> now you're in it. I don't watch it. I just listen. Yeah, there is no watching. So yeah, nobody will see this except us. So. Oh, very good. Yeah, we don't, we don't, we don't put the video up mercifully. Um, so today we have Bridget on because there's been some updates to the county bus service routes. And um, this is a very interesting proposition because, Bridget, you can get into this, of course, but the whole notion that out here on eastern Long Island, we're just not as populated as other parts of Suffolk County. And um, our bus routes have long operated and some of them are incredibly well-traveled. And then there's other bus routes out here that maybe have fewer people throughout the day. So if you and Steve wanted to jump in on this story about the idea behind this change and how it's evolved in the last couple of years with this plan. Sure. Well, I think it's it's been arrived at from a couple of different angles. Uh, when I first was elected, um, I was met with uh, fixed bus routes being cut throughout uh, the district here. I don't know if you remember, there was a bus in Hampton Bays. There were a couple of buses in Sag Harbor and Southampton. I've been committed to environmental protections and to protecting and um, supporting working people just you know, for my whole career. So to me, that was 
really an alarming uh, turn of events. It was something that I had not anticipated. It was just sort of a um, coincidence that, you know, someone who's committed to public transportation, you know, is met with these cuts in my district. So it was the 10A, the 10 uh, the 10 D I think there was a, a number of buses fixed routes were cut so that was that was part of the beginning of it because then I and my team focused on figuring out what to do about that but then on the other side now you know I think the county executive and his staff have recognized for many years that our bus system throughout Suffolk County, not just the East End, but throughout Suffolk County is, you know, is functions poorly. It's expensive, it's unreliable. Um, and really, we did some surveys, sort of Bridget takes the bus day. And, and what we discovered is the only people on the buses were people who had no other choice. And that's not what you need for a robust um, public transportation system in a coastal community where climate change has a real impact and where, you know, you do want to uh, um, offer to folks a decent service that can be used by those who want to take the bus, not just you have to take the bus. And those who have to take the bus clearly should be supported with a good system. So those were the two directions that this came from. Um, on the first piece of it, you know, my team and I started fighting right away. Um, we ended up uh, creating a transportation working group, which for the first time brought together uh, folks from all the different components of this really layered, bureaucratic, not very well-functioning system. Um, there are four separate private bus operators who contract with the county, um, and they there are separate bus drivers unions that work within you know this system, um, and so there's not a lot of consistency, or, or, you know, across the board. Um, the operators themselves don't have the ability to change routes, uh, but besides that, they don't even because they're paid by the mile. They don't feel like the risk and reward of the fare box. They get paid for whatever you know for providing the service regardless of whether it works well or you know whether we have a lot of riders. So uh, ridership was dropping off um, and then we had these cuts in in our district. So we advocated um, after we put together the transportation working group, uh, that group advocated for additional funding. The group was made up of the administration, um, rider advocates, the operators and the bus drivers, as as well as some legislators. And it was the first time that you had all of these components in one place, you know, having conversations. And we started talking right away about schedules and what works, what doesn't work. Uh, but we did advocate for additional funding. And so that really made a big difference. It wasn't a lot. We did two separate pushes on Albany uh, to get funding, we ended up with 5.5 million additional dollars, which isn't a lot. It's a $70 million system at the moment. But now we have received additional funding that is very significant, a 60% increase with an additional $25 million. Wow, wow. So that, yep, yep. So that's making a very, very big difference. And I think part of the reason why we were able to get that funding from Albany uh, was because these planning efforts have been in place uh, for many years. And so, you know, government looks at 
careful planning, you know, favorably. And, and you're more likely to get funding if you've done the work um, that we had done over over all these years. And and um, so that's where we are now. The administration has created something called Reimagined Transit. Uh, they have proposed it. They proposed it, mm, I want to say, almost two years ago. There were, you know, uh, rounds of public input um, and and now they've issued what they're calling the final plan, which is scheduled to go into effect October of next year. So my hope is that we can still push on some of the parts of it that aren't perfect for us. Uh, so I'm not considering it final, uh, although they have said that this is the final version. And that's where we are. So are most of the, the changes to the routes happening out here or is this across the whole system because I know that you know part of the thing that that we're moving to here is the more on-demand system um so that way you're using smaller buses um and and you're actually really concentrating on when the need and people that really need the rides is it is it operating the same way west of here or is this kind of unique out here well it is unique and this is the only the the um Actually, the South Fork is the only place where they have this on-demand, these two on-demand zones, <clears throat> excuse me, that they've created. That's not to say that there aren't changes up West because there are huge changes mm -hmm. throughout the system, one, one of which is uh, weekend service. So we will now have Saturday and Sunday buses everywhere in the, in the system, and the buses run till 10 p.m., everywhere in the that's, system that's, so that's not a huge. small thing is it i mean no. the saturday sunday service especially mm -hmm. it's really exciting it's really it's some of this stuff really makes me very proud because my team and i have worked super hard on it and and it's i hope that it'll make a difference what they were what they were um aiming for is to increase ridership uh ridership has dropped off COVID or no COVID, ridership in our system you know has has dropped off consistently since I, you know, started working at the county in 2016. So we've got our work to do to do that. But I think that weekend service is obviously going to help. Why do you think that is? What accounts for the drop off? Have you have you guys done surveys? Have you reached out to potential riders, um, you know, to try to find out why people aren't riding? Yes, yes. As a matter of fact, I think when I talk about being proud of the, the work that our team did, I think that um, the survey work that we did um, was really instrumental in the creation of the on-demand service, but in a lot of the other changes as well. Um, two years ago, when we first started um, really advocating after the cutting of the fixed buses, we, uh, my my chief of staff, Irene Donahue, and the rest of the team here at the county, uh, at the legislative district office, um, put together an army, a, a clipboard army that went out with interns and did endless uh, interaction with bus riders. I myself rode the bus a number of times. You know, we, we really got... Um, uh, as much information as we possibly could. And I think because part of the problem in the system is that there isn't enough staff. Um, I think that our supplemental work through our interns and, and the work that Irene did really did give the administration the, you know, some of the data they needed to make the changes. But um, I think the reason why we've seen ridership 
a drop off is because it's not a good system. It's not reliable. It doesn't run frequently enough. One of the things that our experts uh, tell us is that a system won't work if there isn't um, reliable frequency. So one another thing that they've done, and this is particularly true for the buses up west, which are still all fixed routes, um, they've sh shortened or reduced routes, but increased the frequency of the riders uh, of the of the so you don't have to wait an hour or like one time I was I was up um uh at the merge of Sunrise and County Road 39 um I think you you might have seen we got a bus shelter installed there was, we're about to put sidewalks there um so so the you know it's a little safer for the folks who are riding but there's those residential homes uh um and like motels that are used as residences behind the gas station on the south side of County Road 39, right at the merge. And those folks, you know, come and they walk along County Road 39 and take the bus. Um, it's the S92. I was I was there and there was a young man there who worked at Carvel up by Bridgehampton Commons. And um, he said that he was always there 15 minutes early. And I said, you know, why? And he said, well, sometimes the bus comes 15 minutes early. So I went back to the administration. I thought that was like a cardinal rule that you don't run early transportation. And they said, oh, no, no, no. It's not 15 minutes early. It's 45 minutes late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. wonder I mean that is a really 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 long ride I've taken that I think all the way out to like Greenport or something for you know some that we had to pick a car up or something but I wonder is that part of the complication is when you have really really long routes like the S92 that it's just you know it's inevitable that these buses are going to get way off schedule well the S92 is unique in the system it's a 60 mile route and it's the only one that's that long and we have talked about whether it makes sense to break it up and in fact it the uh, experts decided that it, it didn't make sense, but they made the hub in a different place. So it's at the Riverhead train station now. And what you would do if you broke it up is you just have two different routes, you know, that went in either direction from the Riverhead train station. So instead, what they're doing is building in a realistic schedule. So we did that some time ago that that was one of the first things that the transportation working group tackled was a realistic schedule for the S92. And uh, we built in a timetable that, you know, took into account the traffic, uh, which is, you know, brutal on, on those on those buses. And we have to keep working on on ways to try to attack that. But um, that's a, that's kind of a long way to say that that. Um, you know, the system will not work unless these improvements are in place. And we're hoping that these improvements will begin to build the ridership back up. Um, and in the end, you know, of course, that success breeds success. And we hope that it becomes a really good system. I have to say on the on-demand piece, I was, I've seen taking the bus myself, I've seen people on the bus who never would have taken the bus if it was the fixed route bus, you know, from from young men who are working in, you know, construction and live in Noyak in my neighborhood to, 
you know, a very well-heeled young woman who was going from Southampton Village to have drinks with friends in Sag Harbor Village. You know, that's a person who would never have taken the 10A. Um, and so, and I don't think the construction worker would have either because I was the one who sort of let him know about the bus. And and we're seeing like, for instance, kids from Southampton High School who, you know, don't have rides to the gym, at, you know, in the afternoon, um, I, you know, taking the bus. And so I think that we are we are growing the ridership base uh, because it's more reliable and more convenient. And that's the goal. And, and that was a that was a pilot at first. But now that's that's permanent, correct, in, in Sag Harbor area. And then you're going to do a pilot in East Hampton. Is that correct? Uh, no, the pilot is, it's still in the pilot phase, the the um, catchment area for the former 10A, um, which goes Seg Harbor, Southampton. Uh, that is still technically in the pilot phase, but the reimagine transit that they just issued last week um, is uh, makes it permanent. So that'll Great. happen in October. And then the, the um, on-demand in East Hampton will also uh, technically be permanent. That's a concern of mine. And, um, you know, it's my hope that we'll be able to test it uh, because I do have concerns about the capacity um, because especially in the in the summer season, you know, that they're going to have enough of those small buses to carry what the 10 C uh, carries in the summer, you know, for uh, the, the uh, employees going out to Montauk. Tennessee goes all the way out from East Hampton to Montauk, right? To interject here, I, I would think taking, say, the 10C, which winds its way through Springs, would be an absolute and utter nightmare because Springs is a is a broad area. And to get to the wherever the bus stops, unless you live right on, you know, Three Mile Harbor Road or whatever, it's a long, <laughs> it's a long commute to the bus stop. Well, no, I mean, it, it's an algorithm, right? So it is, it is um, what, what I found writing it myself is they, it, they sort of, uh, it, there's a compromise from the user and a compromise from the other, from the bus itself. So when I call the bus, I have to walk up, you know, two or three blocks. And then when I, when my office was still in Sag Harbor, which they sold the building and we're not in Sag Harbor anymore, but they used to drop us off they would drop me off like at the top of main street or at the cinema and I'd have to walk up Washington street. Um, so you're not going to have, it's not going to be winding in and out of those. No, no, but I, I, I know that that's how the on-call works, which is fabulous. But the, but the existing 10 C route, which makes its way around uh, uh, Springs, it, it's, just doesn't cover it does doesn't cover enough area in, in my mind um to make oh i see yeah, yeah so it could be an improvement it's interesting because another thing that the transportation working group was actually did was actually make adjustments to the 10b i think you're talking about the 10b Stephen. yeah yeah um because there had been no changes to the routes in 30 years. So when you consider the difference in land use, all of that area you're talking about in Springs wasn't even residential at the time. There weren't homes. And so what we found in you know the the clipboard army um was that in order to get from if you had like if you had a couple of kids and you needed to take them to the doctor at Panago Place, um, you would have to take the bus into 
um, the, the railroad station, then cross the street, wait for another bus, and then go up uh, Pantago Road. So it could take like an hour and a half to get from Springs to Panago Place. And now it takes 20 minutes because they readjusted it, you know, and that's that's what we see. A great another great example in this reimagined transit is up on the North Fork in um Mattituck area, uh actually in Riverhead. In Riverhead there was a bus, there's a bus that's called the 8A. Um, and this is the Sunrise Bus Company runs this bus, but they have a they have a unionized um, uh, work workers. And so what we did is we asked the bus drivers. The union brought the bus drivers. It was Zoom at the time, but they did a Zoom with the consultants, and we found out same thing. Like they were going to the old Suffolk Times building where there's no one it's been empty for a long time <laughs> and, but they but they didn't go to Costco or you know what i mean uh-huh. it was so they re i'm very excited there's a new route called the 80 because they wanted to make it consistent there're no more lettered routes but the 80 is like the old 8a but it, it has been adjusted just as the 10b was based on input from from the bus drivers which i'm very excited about because they were actually originally the first draft of the reimagine they they just eliminated it which meant not only eliminating the route but also likely eight jobs so we were able to save that local support comes from the law firm of toomey latham shea kelly dubin and Raro. In these trying times, working full-time for their clients and the public interest, providing strong advocacy and attentive counsel, be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com 27 Speaks is brought to you by Sag Harbor Books and Southampton Books, independent bookstores located in the villages at 7 Main Street in Sag Harbor and 16 Hampton Road in Southampton. They buy books collections, libraries, individual titles. Very easy process. They handle everything. Do you have books to sell? Call or email today or visit SouthamptonSagHarborBooks.com. Now hiring booksellers at both locations, including office positions. The thing about this that always strikes me is that it's such a cart and the horse thing. And you mentioned this, that, that people talk about well, you know, nobody uses public transportation out here and it's because the system's bad. That's why people don't use it. People don't use it. So the system doesn't usually get improved that it, you just never get break out of that cycle. And it's not that, I don't think the problem is that we live in a community where public transportation isn't an option for people. It's just not a convenient option. And if you can finally begin to address that, I think you start to change people's minds. And, and I think the on-demand option with these buses is a real game changer. And, and it, it sort of, it, it, it feeds into, I, you know, I, until Steve's article sort of articulated, I never really thought about bus service is about really densely populated areas. And, and when you try and bring bus service into a less densely populated area, it's obviously not going to fit. It's, it's not a good fit necessarily for anybody. And, and so, you know, it's good that it's finally getting this, this upgrade and you're starting to, to look at it. I wonder, you know, knock on wood here that maybe the Long Island Railroad will, will 
get the same message that I think it's very much true that that the rail could become part of this system in in a local way if they just would think about investing in something like scoot trains, the, the kind of things that they've talked about. If you bring that in, it's a game changer in the same way. And I feel like there would be people, if you build it, they will come. It's that kind of yeah. thing. Well, that was a question that I had for you, Bridget, too. Like, I just was thinking, you know, I mean, I had like, if you get off the train at Bridgehampton and you need to get to Sag Harbor, is that the kind of bus service that you could do on demand? Yes. And have people been doing that? Because that seems logical, given how much I've heard people have to pay for cabs or Uber just to go from Bridgehampton train station to Sag Harbor, astronomical. So is that is the service being used that way? Not the Bridgehampton train station. Now, for mm -hmm. the South Fork commuter connection, which is moving in the direction, Joe, of, you know, what you're talking about is, is you know, the shorter trains and local commuting, which is a hugely successful undertaking that we have Fred Thiel to thank for, but they mm -hmm. have mm -hmm. the towns, East Hampton and South Hampton, you know, put out an RFP at, together and, and offer two separate last mile little buses, just like the little on-demand bus now, you know, the Suffolk transit on demand. So, um, so that is available for, for the South Fork commuter connection. So during the, um, uh, rush hour in the evening and in the morning. Um, but unfortunately the new on demand doesn't go to Bridgehampton commons. And I was actually, and so it doesn't go to Bridgehampton train station. So I was actually on the, on the phone just yesterday with Jonathan Keyes, who's the director of uh, you know, this project um, and, and, and let him know that that's a big problem because also Bridgehampton Commons, you know, we have so many jobs there, King Cullen and The Gap and Panera and Verizon and TJ Maxx and Marshalls. Does anybody know what the difference is, by the way, <laughs> just as an aside? Having just gone to both of them, I think that Marshalls <laughs> is more clothing and TJ Maxx maybe is more stuff. Like, you know, it was like like all the shoes and stuff were at Marshalls. I don't get it. And stuff. Okay. I don't know. I think it's just because places aren't giving them permission to have an 80,000 square foot store. So oh, they have to right. just build two 40,000 square foot stores and pretend they're different. Oh, my God. It's also part of that weird marketing stuff where you you come up with two different places and but and entice people into the store and they go to the other one thinking it's different and it's really, it's really not that different, it's just you know? three departments that have been moved over to <laughs> back in you know but that's like you know i think that i'm just curious bridget if that came up at all the whole idea that doesn't make sense to have some sort of a suffolk county transit bus small or whatever pretty much meeting all of the LIRR trains when they come out from the city. Yes. Like, so when people get off that train, they know that there's a bus that they can take to, you know, the village of Sac Harbor or into the bridge. You know what I mean? Yep. Absolutely. It's definitely part of the equation. Um, we got to work on the Bridgehampton piece, but um, you know, there's, there's room for growth without a doubt. And that's certainly part of it. I mean, that's, you know, another thing that I hope is the case when we talk about success, breeding success, and and Joe's point about the chicken and the egg or whatever metaphor you used. I, I think it was cart and horse, but cart same, and horse. same thing. We can <laughs> mix our metaphors here. <laughs> the chicken and the horse. The chicken and the horse, which came first. Um, and But the, but the question, um, you know, the, 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 it begs the question, you know, do we 
do we see the system grow when it is successful? And that is what we're hoping is going to happen, that as ridership begins to go up, you're going to see more willingness on the part of the county to increase the service. Right now, there's a there's a mindset. Uh, there's two couple of cultural mindsets that that get in the way, one being we're Long Islanders and we love our cars. You know, you've got your your big, you know, two ton purse that goes with you everywhere. Um, <laughs> but and people like their independence, you know, and, and that's that's in our culture and has to be shifted um, if we want public transportation to really work. But the other thing is people at the legislature and in the in administration don't see transportation as an investment. Wow. You know, they look for it to be like an enterprise zone that the fare box would support, you know, the running of the of the program when in fact public transportation is a service like, you know, roads and bridges or um, libraries, you know, things that, that people expect uh, from their government. And an important service. And you mentioned early on, there are, there are people, I, I think, particularly out here that are taking the buses because they have no other option. And, and those are the people that really need to be served. And I think, you know, the, again, the whole, you know, chicken and, and egg, um, you know, cart before the horse thing. In order to keep serving those people, then then you have to become attractive to to other people that, that may see it as a, an environment, a nice environmental option or, you know, ease of use or you know, a replacement for, for that expensive Uber, um, you know, type of thing. So I, I think, I think that's really critical that the, the service element that, that you're talking about, that there's, there's a, you know, there's a, a core group of people that have no other option. And, and they're the ones that are riding the bus, you know, two hours, one way and two hours back to get to the doctor's appointment or, or to get to work because they don't have a car, don't have another option, can't afford the Uber rider or, or whatever. And, and so hopefully the, um, you know, these pilots with these, you know, on-demand services can just kind of help make it a little more um, um, attractive to, to, you know, to, to other people. Yeah. Like get rid of the perception issue, you know, like yeah. people don't, don't want to be on the bus because they feel like the bus is for people that don't have cars and can't afford cars and I can afford a car. So I don't want to be seen on, you know, I imagine that's part of what you're overcoming now as well. That's why I was so excited to see the woman with the really expensive <laughs> shoes. Sure. The Saturday Sunday thing is is important too because the people who ride the bus because they have to ride the bus typically need to ride the bus on Saturdays and Sundays too. Most people's work weeks, um, especially in service industries on the East End, you're working Saturdays and Sundays too. So you you're you have a whole new problem to solve if you can't if you haven't got that option to get back and forth to work on Saturdays and Sundays. So, I, I mean, the fact that it took that long to address that is kind of mind blowing. And, and I think it's really going to, it's going to make a difference in a lot of people's lives. So that's, that's key. It really is. It's very exciting. Talking about how important it is to, um, to support the workforce uh, when we talk about supporting the workforce, it's not only about the workforce, it's also about the employer. And it's critically important that uh, employers are able to rely on the public transportation system in order to build their schedules. Um, I, you know, when I met this young man 
who was going to Carvel. And he told me he was there 15 minutes early. I find out it's because the bus was frequently 45 minutes late. Um, that makes it really difficult for an employer. You know, that that manager at Carvel would have a hard time staffing up if he doesn't know or she doesn't know that the bus is going to be reliable and this kid's not going to be a half an hour late, you know, by no fault of his own. Obviously, a very conscientious worker still might not have been able to get to work on time. So that's really really important and you know for long-term sustainability of our economy which is such a challenge anyway right we have housing issues we have uh, visa issues we have the great resignation right now it is very hard we hear of restaurants that are closing you know one or two days a week because they don't have enough staff for an entire week you know this is one piece of that puzzle that might make it a little bit easier on small businesses Mm-hmm. And, and large businesses on the hospital, you know, on on the college. So was part of the difficulties that you all had in working this out had to do with the fact that you had so like different private bus companies involved and made they weren't communicating. So if one bus was dropping off somebody, you know, in, in the middle of, you know, Riverhead, say another bus should have been there to pick them up to take them further. But there's like no communication, it sounds like between or was no communication between the four companies. They just sort of ran their routes and that was it. Is that is that accurate? Well, no, in fairness, the it was, you know, the Suffolk County trans uh, transportation department, which w- had a, a staff of, I think, maybe five uh, people, including the commissioner, um, w- you know, w- would try their best to coordinate. But when we put together the transportation working group, that was the first time that you had bus drivers from the different companies or the union representatives for the bus drivers, you know, the operators and the administration all in one place listening to riders talk about what worked and what didn't work, mostly what didn't work. And that's where the coordination came in. But I mean, you are right in that to observe that, you know, those hubs didn't always function correctly. It's one of the great advances of this uh, new system is these eight hubs that are doing just what you're talking about, coordinating amongst the various different uh, providers in terms of getting people around without a lot of wait time. Cause that's another thing that eats into the reliability of the system. You need, you know, what they call the headway to make sense to which I say, what does a headway? Don't tell me seven pounds. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I made that joke actually at a transportation working group. <laughs> one of, I was one of the peak you know, moments of my career. Did they get it? They did. It was the, the whole audience guffawed. It's great. <laughs> oh, thank goodness. You have it's a new good, career good as a stand-up comedian. <laughs> this is Catherine Manu, and I'm the editor of the Sag Harbor Express and co-publisher with my husband, Gavin, of the Express News Group. Local community news matters more than ever, with misinformation spreading constantly across the internet. We live in the communities we cover. We are your neighbors, your friends, your family. We tell the good stories and, unfortunately, the bad. We focus on your triumphs and losses. But we can't do this without our subscribers. To subscribe, please visit 27east.com slash subscribe. And thank you for your support. Bridget, I'm curious about uh, how recently or if ever there's been a survey of where the employers who are serving the East End are coming from. I, I know as a 
county, um, maybe they're not concerned about fulfilling specifically Southampton Village or Sackover Village or Eastampton Village's um, needs to get staff out here. But as we talked about the commuter connection before, getting people east-west to their jobs, but the trains can only run so frequently until they build sidings or a second track or whatever it may be. And sometimes I wonder if buses are even the solution to that because traffic is so unpredictable on that route that maybe would just make absolutely no sense for me to get on a bus in Montauk Highway in Eastport to be dropped off in Southampton. But to make these decisions, I'm sure you need data and you would need to know how many people are coming from where. And one thing I brought up on the podcast before is the commuter connection is good if you live in Hampton Bays and you need to go east. But if you live in West Hampton or Spionk or west of there, it's not as reliable just because they offer fewer trips at odd hours that don't align with most people's work schedules. Hmm. But it's not just, you know, somebody like me who lives near the Spionk train station who would love a train to Spionk. I would think that there is an inordinate amount of people working in Southampton and points further east who are coming from the Mauritius, they're coming from Mastic and Shirley, and they're coming from even further west. Yeah. Um, I know, you know, I, I worked with people in Southampton who were coming in every day from from Selden and Port Jeff. And I know some of these areas, they're, they're mid-island or north shore, and there's not going to be a, a bus or a rail solution for them. But what about the South Shore, where all you have to do is get people east-west? Do we know if the number of commuters supports that infrastructure? I don't know the answer to that. I know there was some, there was definitely some data gathering that, you know, behind this reimagine effort. There was also sort of statistical extrapolations and assumptions that were made, um, you know, as opposed to actual surveys of, of riders. Um, and, but, but we did do some of that, but whether we have enough data to make broad, to draw broad conclusions, I don't know. It's a great question. It's a great question. And and I hope as we watch whether these this new system works, I hope that some of those answers will start to emerge. So Bridget, for the people who are listening who don't know, what is the price point for the using the county bus service? Um, in particular the the on-demand service. It's two and a quarter. Two and a quarter. Right. Or 75 cents if you're a student or a senior. Wow. And just to go back for a second to what Brendan was asking, I have to say one of the most difficult things to capture is the ridership that you're missing. You know, you can you could what we did is survey people on the bus. But other than asking chambers of commerce and, you know, employers, uh, it's really hard to get an idea of what ridership you're missing because you're not serving those places. So I hope that that'll start to emerge. But yeah, no, it's the cost of a regular bus. Another interesting thing I would just when you were just saying that, like I could imagine like teenagers, like you were saying, but like maybe they want to go to SYS after school right. and their parents yep. are working. Is that the kind of thing they could do on demand? They do it. They that, do it. That, that's yeah, definitely. I've been on the buses when, you know, four um juniors from Southampton High School who live in North Sea. Um, are on the bus going to SYS, going to work out or play basketball. Mm -hmm. And could they do the same thing in Sac Harbor? Could Sac Harbor or Pearson students do the same? And maybe, I mean, well, okay, so what about e once East Hampton comes into the equation? Could an East Hampton high school student get from East Hampton high school to SYS by on demand, for example? 
That's a question I don't know the answer to because you have these on-demand zones mm -hmm. that aren't perfect, I don't think. Like they don't go to Bridgehampton, right? right. So I'm not sure actually about, you would probably have to switch. The, the regular route like to Southampton Village and then get an on-demand maybe. Right, right, right. Or maybe do two on-demands because I definitely have gone like to the very edge in Watermill and then just walked you know, for a little bit in Watermill, but if there was a way to connect the two on demands or, or to expand it if it's successful. But yeah, that's certainly a, a great use that I was really proud to see. Yeah, I was going to ask Bridget, if if you have figures for the number of riders on the on, for the on-demand service in Eastern Southampton, because I do remember when, I guess it was the 10A, when they discontinued that line, which sort of meandered down Noyak Road, I think it went to the ferry dock and then it went to Sag Harbor and back. I remember that the, the cost per rider was prohibitive. And that was you know, one of the reasons they dropped the line. That's right. Well, you know what? And that's exactly just, just to hit that point for one second. That was one of the great frustrations back in 2016 when this first happened. Instead of trying to figure it out and adjust the routes so that they made more sense, after 30 years of running the routes without any adjustment, they just took the top five uh, or eight routes and lopped them off. Right. And it, it made these big holes in the system. This, what we're seeing now, is what I dreamed of then, which is that they really took a hard look at what was wrong with the system and tried to invest you know, in a meaningful way to a system that works. But I don't have those numbers off the top of my head, Steve. I could, I could try to find them. I mean, we certainly have them. One of the advances that makes all this possible is that we have these uh, rider counts, you know, that happen automatically, um, you know, in a digital system. Uh, so we can definitely get those numbers. I remember back this past summer, we passed the 5,000th rider or uh, trip uh, but what that means in terms of how many are taking, you know, the bus. That sounds like an increase to me. Oh, there's no question that there was an increase and there's no question that it's less than $95 a ride, which is what it was. My question would be like, are you definitely eligible for an on-demand ride no matter where you are? Or is there like, if you're within a mile of a fixed route, does that mean that you're not eligible for an on-demand pickup or just wondering like how... You know, if there's someone say, well, no, you're not allowed. We're not allowed to give you an on-demand because you have to, you have to be on the route, right? No, it's a specific catchment area. So it's an app. Can you see? I okay. The app. And you just, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll show you what the app is, is it's called SCT and it's little blue and yellow chevrons. Um, and once you have it, you can share it with your friends by going to refer friends and the link goes directly to their phone. Um, but it's called Suffolk Transit On Demand. And that's where the app is. And then you'll see in the app, the catchment area, and you put in where you're going and where you're, you know, where you are and where you're going. And then it'll tell you if you're outside the catchment area. Oh, cool. If you pinch all the way, I don't know if you're on there, um, Annette, but if you pinch all the way out on the map, it shows you what the area, the catchment area is. It's a fixed map. 
So anywhere in that area, then you're eligible for on demand. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, cool. So for instance, I live, I live just outside of the Eastern Southampton on demand. And, um, you know, but I, I live down the block from the S92 if I needed service. The key is that the S92 has to come more frequently and that it has to be reliable. And those are both goals. It's being, the frequency is being doubled. Um, and it's also, um, uh, hope we're hoping that it'll be more consistent in terms of the schedule. The app is actually Suffolk Transit On Demand, correct? And it's a free app in the App Store? Yes. Because I know I noticed when I do a search, there's a couple of apps that I know there's at least one paid app that tries to sort of piggyback on that, I think. But this is a free app, right? It's Absolutely. Thank you for bringing that up. That is that that paid app is not authorized and it is an absolutely free app. Suffolk Transit On Demand. Suffolk Transit On Demand. That's the one you want. Yes. And it's a yellow background with a blue and like little blue and yellow triangles inside. Not triangles, chevrons, like little arrows. Yeah. I'm signing up while we're talking. And now you can refer friends. Look, if you if you um, tap on the three little you know lines at the top left, it says refer friends. And all that does is just um, send the link to your friends hmm. so they can do it. Yeah, it's fun when I was, when I'm taking the bus and you see a young person like at the Sag Harbor Cinema, the, the uh, young people who work there, I mentioned it to them within seconds, they were like ordering their bus. You know, it doesn't take, it's very, very user-friendly. I think that's huge for like, like the, um, like, working parents that have teenagers that need to get, you know, places after school. It's like, that's probably a game changer. You know, even if, even if it's a matter of going into Sac Harbor and getting coffee with your friends and you happen to live out in Noyak or, you know, somewhere in East Hampton, you know, it goes to Cooper's beach too, during the day. I mean, during the summer, well, anytime it does, but for the summer, these kids used to go who worked at the cinema, they would go after work down to Cooper's beach. That's great. That's awesome. Perfect. And how late can you do the on demand till 10? Till 10 during the week. Well, the, now till six, when the new system goes into effect until 10 and uh, the, the draft is, is um, the draft version of the new system on Saturdays and Sundays, it goes until 8 PM. Nice. I know. That's good stuff. And it's good too if you, if people go to have a drink, you can take the the bus instead of getting yeah, in a car. Yeah, definitely. Right, exactly. For That's for two bucks instead of hmm. the going rate. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of a DWI lawyer. <laughs> two twenty five. Unless you're a senior, it's only seventy five cents. Yeah. That's amazing. That's great. Appreciate it, Bridget. Thanks for for filling us in on all this. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's a source of real pride. Like I said, I'm so grateful to my team that has just sort of Irene Donahue and Michael Iasilli and Vanessa Rohano just really dove in. And we had some great interns also who um, are, you know, kids from the high schools who over the years have helped us with the clipboard army and talking to riders and figuring it out. So we've been able to offer real support to the administration in getting the data that we needed to make it work. So it's a work in progress. It's not perfect, uh, but it's a huge improvement and we're really excited and proud. It's nice to know that, that you guys are focused on it and 
and um, and improvements are being made. Absolutely. Important. Fun to be with you all. Thank I wish you. I had some of Joe's fudge. If any is left, I'll send it. It looks so good on the screen. <laughs> yeah. Why don't you just call on Lausanne demand buses and head over? There the you go. <gasps> what a good idea. So to find the system, you go to your app store and you look up Suffolk Transit On Demand. The logo is in blue and yellow. It's like little chevrons. Very easy. And it is no cost. It is a free app. I'll be right over. Twenty Seven Speaks is sponsored by the law firm of Toomey, Latham, Shea, Kelly, Dubin, and Corderaro. Strong advocacy and attentive counsel. Be well advised. SuffolkLaw.com. Thank you for listening. Join us again next week to hear what's news on the East End. Our interlude flute music is by Allison O'Reilly. Our opening and closing theme music is Boysdale Blues, written and performed by the incomparable Judy Carmichael. Listen to Judy's weekly show, Jazz Inspired, airing on an NPR station near you, or go to jazzinspired.com. 27 Speaks is a weekly podcast produced by the Express News Group, which includes the Southampton Press, the East Hampton Press, the Sag Harbor Express, 27East.com, and SagHarborExpress.com. Find us on the websites or subscribe through Apple Podcasts.